Well, trail builders listening, you and nurses are the best people on the planet. Uh, I'm serious, man. Like nurses, for obvious reasons, are the best people on the planet. Like, and then trail builders for what they enable us to do, have a relationship with nature safely, um, is uh, I can't imagine a life without that. So. Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 66 is part two of the Jeremy P. McGee story. If you have not listened to episode 65, which is part one of the Jeremy P. McGee story, take a listen to part one before checking out part two. This is a departure from the regular format of the Trail Effect podcast, in which this is a full-on three-plus-hour candid conversation between Jeremy and I. We got a lot deeper into what the Unpavement Project is on part two, along with how important it is for Jeremy and all of us to spend more time outside. Jeremy wanted this interview to remain largely uncut and unedited, so the only editing that was done was for audio quality. This interview was also recorded in Jeremy's Van Dewitt adventure van while at his house in Bentonville, Arkansas. I have to thank the Professional Trail Builders Association for the invite to the Sustainable Trails Conference in Bentonville, as this invite is what made these episodes possible. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Smith's is a full-service bike shop that is a retailer for truck bicycle company and salsa cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com. Now on to part two with Jeremy P. McGee and the Unpavement Project. not be the exact same but um okay where were we we're coming out of uh do what you love living life doing what you love and yeah and and that at that i need to think i need another beer (laughs) yeah Mm. yeah that 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 part definitely uh are you okay on your cider i'm good yeah i just i'm not halfway through my second cider i'm not a huge drinker Um, it's probably because of college well i mean well, like, that was an hour and a half, and we are, we were, we were hanging out probably for twenty maybe minutes. minutes before we came in the van. Yeah, so that's like that's almost two hours, two beers. Well, your college experience and my college experience were polar opposites. <laughs> oh yeah, party like crazy. I fully embraced that aspect of college. Were you in a fraternity? In- I was, <laughs> but let's be clear because there's always the negative misconception about that. Yeah. It means well, one's just, local, like, one's national. One is just where it is and that's it. There's nothing one's else. One's like kind of a corporation. One is like, yeah, one has got yes, very is. different ideals, but I will tell you being so the best, and I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating. The best way to explain the fraternity that I, that I was in 
was literally the living version of Animal House. Okay. I'm not even kidding you. That I'm not, is scary. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. That scares was, me. The thought of that scares me. <laughs> I'm just sorry. Okay. My imagination's running what happens in fraternity <laughs> hazing and it stuff. It wasn't. We didn't do it. We didn't. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I guess if you really liked partying and playing foosball, there's a lot of foosball playing. Okay, there's a, a lot, lot of flip cup and stuff there was like that. Like, or well, what? we had, we had, we had, uh, it was this, what was it? I didn't play it much. Cause I, I just, I just liked hanging out and drinking. I, I picture but like we had beer die tournaments. There's like beer, which is a weird game of like, it's like a four by eight sheet of plywood essentially that has like cups in the corners and you throw whether you die and it's, it, it turns into a mess. So a bunch of like creative that drinking are, games. Better on, you know, the, the table that makes that four by eight table is a couple half barrels underneath it to prop it up. How do we get there? Um, college <laughs> stories, fraternity, drinking college. Um, oh yeah, because we're, I was the opposite of you. You didn't, drink, you did not drink in college and I don't, I'd like, yeah. and even post-college, like I lived for those that know lacrosse, Wisconsin, it is a serious beer drinking community. At one point was in the Guinness book of world records for the most bars in one city block. Oh, and to this day, still, they have the world's largest six pack. What, what is this? What is the largest six pack? <laughs> the world's largest six and it, it is full of beer and it's it's like these huge silos the best way to describe it is these huge silos full of beer in lacrosse if you're a product of the 80s and maybe the early 90s we had this super popular beer called old style and old style in the highland the g highland brewing company at one point was the third well maybe large too but still today but at one point it was the third largest brewery in the nation behind Anheuser-Busch and Miller, you know, and, and it went, All right. you know, so we, so actually they, so the beer, like they'd brew beer and store it in these, like literally like three story tall silos. And there was just, you know, we got to make them round and we might as well make them three by two. Gotcha. So it looks like the world's largest six pack and they, and then, then painted it like the beer cans. And it's still there today. It's still a brewery. It's not, it's gone through a bunch of different iterations. And I think they brew more beer now than they ever have, but it's not all contract brewing because what a lot of people don't know is that these, some of these really high end beer companies aren't actually beer companies or marketing companies. And then they have someone else brew their beer. And so this, this brewery now just does tons of contract brewing and energy drinks contract too. Contract brewing. Yeah. You know, like, got you like monster energies and stuff like that. Like it, I mean, from a distribution standpoint, it makes sense to like not have to ship it across the country. Right. Why not have regional contract brewers make this stuff so distribution is less? I want to make my own beer. So talk to a big brewery like that or something. The JP McGee? The the JP McGee or something, the the unpavement session IPA. The JPM IPA? Yeah. (laughs) But we um I actually, um, my good friend was, and he just left. He was the master brewer at a port brewing company. And we were talking about doing one and he had done a beer in the past and we were going to kind of, we we're talking about redoing it for me. And he was calling, he called it San Diego. Oh yeah. Send Diego. I, uh, I was, I was like, oh, we're going to do the send Diego, uh, session IPA and oh, it's going to be awesome. But we never did it. I want to do something like that, though. Let's get back on track and, sound, and talk mountain bikes. 
Yeah. This is when we're going to get in, in, into the, the nerd mode of this episode. Okay, let's get, let's get nerdy. You want to talk about gear? I want to talk about the evolution of adaptive mountain bikes and your yeah, evolution man. and how eh, Jeremy will probably, he knows way more about this than I do, but I would, I would assume, and we're going to get to this later, but I would assume that the e-bike yeah. has played a crucial role Game changer, man. in this whole thing. Game you know, changer. and people like people, people bagging e-bikes. A lot less yeah, people lot bag, less, bag on e-bikes. A now. lot less now. Yeah. Um, but like, I, I mean, I, from day one, when, as soon as the first time I ever saw an adaptive mountain bike with an e-bike motor on it, I was like, holy shit. Like, You're like, that, duh. It's like the You're most like, logical thing I've seen. It's so logical. Yes. Yeah. You know? Well. But let's go back to like yeah. early, early mountain bikes for you and even in general. Um, for adaptive mountain bikes and to kind of, cause I remember in your, in your speech the other night, you're like, yeah, I could climb a wall with my first mountain bike, mm -hmm. but it had no suspension. Did you happen to uh, go to my, the, the concurrent session that I taught yesterday morning? I didn't. I was actually doing another podcast. I interview. shared a photo of the first, one of the first downhill chairs. Um, my buddy, Matt Feeney, um, he, I think he lives in like the Denver area now. He used to live, he lived in winter park forever. And he's in a chair and he's just a gorgeous specimen of a man. And I've got this foot. He's got the, he has this posted this photo. That's just, it's so rad. It's a wheelchair. God, I don't even know how to explain it in words. I'll have to post the photo or something. It's basically a wheelchair with two handles that are that steer two Probably like 12 inch wheels on each side. Well, is it what, you know, back in the nineties, what John Davis would, would race in? That, yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you can probably picture it. I don't know um, yeah. if viewers can picture it. Maybe in the video on YouTube, I'll post a photo. So, um, listeners on other, um, that are listening to this, I don't know how to, I don't know how to explain it, but it's basically a wheelchair that he's going downhill in with like a little bit bigger front wheels. Fucking death defying. <laughs> He's got like a full face helmet on and like just sunglasses and like screaming down the mountain. That's kind of, that's kind of how downhill adaptive bikes started like downhill wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. um, and they, I mean, obviously what we're riding now is like the progression has been insane. And so everything in between there has been pretty crazy for me when I first got my first adaptive mountain bike. It was the same body position as this bike I have now, where it's kind of a, a forward position. Oh, it sounds like, like a World War II fighter plane flying over. It probably is. It, we're, <laughs> we're in Bentonville. Have you, have you met the Waltons? It's one of the Walton boys showing off as per usual. <laughs> 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 but, uh, so this first bike, uh, completely rigid, zero suspension whatsoever, but was like relatively small. Like this thing I ride is, is kind of a monster. Uh, and uh, it could, it seriously had this, um, it has what's called a, and it had two of these, what's called a schlumpf mountain drive. Um, if you don't know what that is, it's basically you push a button on the side of the crank and it accesses a whole other set of gears, granny gears, like super uber granny gears. 
And so it had two chains and they meet at an intermediary hub. And in that hub, there's another Schlumpf mountain drive. So a whole other set of granny gears. So you can go granny, granny. You go granny, granny, granny on granny, which is exponential granny. Right? That's granny squared. Granny squared. <laughs> yeah. Granny cubed, granny squared. I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> You're the math guy. I'm not the math so, guy. Like, I mean, you could, this thing could just be, you can go granny, granny. And like this thing would just be inching along, but you could seriously like inch up a wall with one arm. Like it's such granny gears. So all that to explain, it could climb anything, no matter what. And if you get like stuck in a situation, it was still an external, was it an external drivetrain or was it an internal hub? I can't remember if it was an internal geared hub or an external drivetrain. It's been that long. 2007, I got that bike. And, uh, but anyway, you know, I, I, you know, I could climb, it could climb anywhere. I was taking it on adventures, like taking my dog out, walking just along random fire roads. And it was pretty awesome. But I mean, I started taking it on the bike park right away. Um, I remember the first, I took it down Kamikaze, <laughs> no suspension. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I think that's the first trail I ever rode actually on that bike was Kamikaze. Um, and then, uh, there's a trail, a black tech trail called Shotgun at uh, Mammoth? Mammoth. Yeah. And it's a lower mountain, you know, shorter run. And that's kind of, those are the, the trails in that area are the trails you ride like early season um, when the, the rest of the mountain, like the lower mountains melted out, but not the upper mountain yet. So all the lower mountain trails, that's where Shotgun is. And so my buddy took me over there. He's like, oh, there's this trail called, called Shotgun. And um, he's like, you're going to love it. So I took my rigid bike down this tech trail. And oh my, there, I mean, there's staircase drops. And I, you know, of course I fucking rode it hard, you know. And I, we did two laps on it. My back was just jarred. I'm like, oh my God, that hurts. And my buddy was like, well, you you need suspension. <laughs> I was like, well, why did you take me on this trail then? <laughs> then let's get suspension. Come on. <laughs> so I quickly learned that I needed suspension and I sold that bike and bought the, uh, one of the, one, uh, this four wheel downhill bike, four wheel downhill bike with no drivetrain. So in, in those days, that was the choice. Either you have a bike that can climb anything or a bike that can, basically downhill anything you know and it's funny how i bought this bike this guy that owned it i had met him in mammoth he had brought his bike to mammoth to ride and i saw it and i talked to him and we got to be friends he lived in pismo and uh he didn't his bike was just sitting in his garage he wasn't riding he i, I hadn't seen him for years um and i i told him i was like hey look I will give you $6,000 <laughs> and when you come to Mammoth, you can use your bike whenever you want. <laughs> I sold him on it. He was so hesitant, uh, but I talked him into selling me his bike. He sold it to me because those things weren't made. You couldn't get one, you know, yeah. uh, they're so rare. And, and I talked him into selling me his bike <laughs> and he still never came up to use it. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that was the selling point and he still never came up to use the bike. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah. Well, but that, that bike 
my friends uh, called it the Land Spider Trophy Truck because it had, had like 18 inches of suspension each wheel, each each a arm and it was it, i mean what that thing could go over was insane but no drivetrain i'm an adventurer i want to be out in nature and my friends were pushing me you know we'd go do these rides and it's uh, i felt so bad for them like they were pushing me they were you know towing me behind cars oh my god my roommate one time was towing me behind my forerunner down this dirt road and uh the strap snapped and so we had to shorten it so it was super short so i'm basically like right behind the car oh god and uh, we have the the back hatch open so i could see him clearly he's driving he's driving like i am scared out of my fucking mind he's mobbing i I know we were going over 40 i think we're going like 45 which in a bike is death-defying fast, you know? And it's just, I can't see anything that's coming because there's a car right in front of me. And if he stops, I got to be ready on the brakes. You know, I don't think- Right I, when he is. I don't think I could stop in time, you know? And um, I look and he's just driving one hand, just like chugging a beer. Just like driving 45, 50. <laughs> oh my God. And then um, I actually moved back to San Diego with that bike. And, you know, that bike's kind of like bike park only, you know? And so I was just sitting there. I wasn't really using it. And I was really wanting to find a way to get out onto the beach myself, you know? And to and so I was researching off-road wheelchairs and, like, beach wheelchairs and things like that. And I see this picture of this bike. I'm like, what? What is this thing? And one click needs to, needs to, leads to another. And I end up on this manufacturer's website that built these bikes that I ride now. And it was the first bike with both suspension and a drivetrain. So I, I could ride the bike park and take the drops and jumps and rock gardens and all that stuff, but also venture into the, into the backcountry and climb and pedal and get my heart rate up and, um, and exercise outdoors. I was like, Oh my God, this is like a life changing thing. I think. So I, I found a buyer for that four wheel bike right away. And, uh, I got a grant for $1,500 from the challenge athletes foundation. And I had a friend give me $1,500 to help. So I had the money from the bike. Plus the three grand, I had $9,800 in my bank account after all that. And uh, the bike was (laughs) $9,400. And I I wrote the check, man, at $400 left. And I had no job, no income or anything at the time. This is where we circle back to the part, do what you love. Right? (laughs) And sometimes you just got to make, take that step. You got to take that dive into the deep end, you know, and, uh, just do what's best for your life. You know, I, I, I was very astute at living minimally. I knew, you know, and $400 was still a lot of money to me at the time, you know? Um, and I had actually just come from like pretty much being homeless and gone through a really gnarly time in my life. 
Um, I was just coming out of that. And, uh, so, I mean, $400 to me was still, I still felt kind of rich with 400 bucks in my account, honestly. Um, but I, but looking back, I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> that is just a crazy decision. Um, so I bought that bike and you don't get it. I mean, it's still, I mean, I'm proud to say that we have a six to eight month build time right now. I'm very proud to say that in the current climate, which most bikes is a year or more. Yeah, nobody has that right now. And these are very complicated bikes at that. The manufacturer's done a really good job at like buying parts in bulk ahead of time. So that's why all our bikes are like, you got to pay in advance and it sucks, but it just is what it is. Um, and we had to raise prices and, st- and things, but well, everybody that, did. That's not like everybody. Did. That's it's, it's inflation. Yeah. That's where we're but you'd be surprised. People don't understand that. You'd be surprised. But, uh, so that time was like six months. And so I dropped 9,400 bucks when I, that's all the money I had basically. And you didn't have your current bike either now. No, I had no bike. I had no bike, nothing. And I got to wait six months now. <laughs> oh my God. So I just like, oh my God. I, I mean, the poor guy, the poor salesman. I was like, anywhere, and now like people email me. And like, I have to remind myself of how I felt at that time, you know, <laughs> cause I'll get frustrated. I'm like, oh my God, this guy, like I told him eight months and it's been three weeks, <laughs> but I, you know, and so I try to tell people like, you know, just go to the gym, man, <laughs> get the yeah. energy out. So I bought this bike and I got it and, uh, I put it together for the first time and I started riding this thing and I started you know, I was in San Diego at the time. I, you know, I, I was, I took it in the Canyon that I grew up exploring as a child with my little brother, you know, that same Canyon that we talked about at the beginning of the conversation, you know, where I'd get poison oak every day. And the ice plants. And the ice, but yeah, exactly. Um, taking it through these trails and it's, oh, I, and my, my life got completely changed. Like life in a wheelchair is relegated to the pavement, you know, and now it's off the pavement. And my range is extended. Like this bike is freedom. And that's kind of how it started. <laughs> and then, so that bike was, I was, was fully manual, totally analog bike. So no e-bike, no, 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 no power assist. What, at what point did, did it go, did the industry go pedal assist? That bike actually had the option for an assist. Okay. At that time. And I, I, wow, what year was that? Um, I want to say maybe it was like. I mean, it's new and pedal assist is new across the board. Yeah. 2013, 2014, maybe. Um, no, it, power assist was a thing then. At one Um, point it was just hubs. But I was, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was just, um, a hub motor. Yeah. 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 Hub motor. Um. And, the, and, and yeah, and then the mid drive came in right about that time, you know, and, uh, but I was, I was super anti. So the thing, well, the <laughs> thing, it's a spinal cord injury community thing. Like, it's like, if you're a quadriplegic, you need a power chair. If you're a paraplegic, you have a manual chair. It's kind of like, uh, and I was young, dude, I was in my twenties. So, uh, I don't think like this anymore. But like at that time, it was like, I'm a paraplegic. I don't, I'm not a quadriplegic. I don't need a power, anything power, you know, I'm, I have, you know, I see, you know, it's, it's a, it's a similar, but different parallel of like when e-bikes just came out in general, 
where people are like, I don't want these. Either. I don't need that. I'm strong. I'm young. I don't need that. It, um, but it's a whole, it's a, it's, it's a totally different thing though. It doesn't. Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like I've seen the difference, like what it can mean for, you know, anybody like in mammoth, basically like my boys there, like one of my, my best friend there, he got an e-bike and like, cause I, cause I make him, I riding the gondola and like loading the chair with my bike and everything you know, there's a lot of logistics involved mm-hmm. in that. So once I had a bike with an E assist, I started just climbing the service. Once I started climbing the then service climbed roads, Kamikaze. I've climbed Kamikaze. Yeah. Yeah, I have. And it's not bad with the E assist, you know? And, uh, I started climbing the service roads and it's so much better of an experience. Mm-hmm. I don't do as many laps, you know? Um, I'll maybe do like the max I'll do is like six laps on the bike park, but mammoth bike park. I mean, one lap is like well, all day for those know? that don't know mammoth it's a, it's pretty high <laughs> yeah yeah and the trails it are goes long. above tree line the trails are really long you know it's not like here where it's you know the trails are awesome and you can lap them but the, you know relatively short you mm-hmm. know they're like and you're at sea level one lap is like half the day you know or you're at sea level here yeah oh wow oh yeah that's what i mean 11, like, that's 11. what i'm saying like you can breathe here yeah yeah you know, like that, the whole, the mammoth is a different animal. It's a whole other animal. For it's, anybody. And so my, my buddy, he got an e-bike and he started climbing the service roads with me. And then a lot of other people in town, like rip, rippers, like yeah. we're talking some of the best mountain bike, downhill mountain bikers you'll ever see. Yeah. Are riding e-bikes. Yeah. A lot of downhill guys are now, a lot of downhill riders, guys and girls, um, are, could you just climb the service road and they you know, same suspension. It's a full downhill cush bike, you know, but with the, you know, you don't have to ride the lift anymore, basically. Yeah. Well, we've, we've gone into the fact that on this podcast that now there's bike parks being built in places that can't be shuttleable and can't be, and don't have lift access because of e-bikes. Done. It's so much better. You're actually getting exercise. You're sitting on a lift. You're not getting exercise. You're riding an e-bike up the hill. You're getting an ex- you're getting exercise, you know? And he told me, he's like, he's like, he showed me like his heart rate was like through the roof. He's, and he's like, he's like, dude, I'm getting an amazing amount of exercise. I'm just going further and faster. He's like, I'm cranking just like just as hard, you know, I can, he can, he's like, I can get up to speed faster, but like, yeah. So that my, my friends in mammoth have kind of shown me like what an e-bike can mean for the able-bodied community, you know, and that it's just, it's, it's rad. It's a good thing. I think, um, as long as there's like proper education and proper trail stewardship, cause you can rip apart a trail with all that power, you know? Yeah. So, was, and I, early on with e-bikes and I will say like I was kind of an anti e-bike person from the perspective of like we've already had to sell mountain bikes to people in general for access and now we're going to sell mountain bikes that maybe have a motor for access but I quickly flipped that narrative in my mind when I came to the realization that access is access and people can be assholes on analog bikes just as much as they can be assholes on e-bikes and it's not the tool it's the person Wow. That's well said. That's very well said. You know? Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. There's, yeah, there's Strava holes out there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 
Like it doesn't, the, the, the bike isn't doing it. It's the person doing it. hundred percent. hundred percent. So. I'm, I'm definitely all, all for e-bikes, obviously. Um, the one thing that happens in the adaptive world, um, though, is the, I mean, these guys are going, I, I don't want to judge anybody. Like everybody can do whatever they want to do as long as they're not hurting anybody and causing damage and being like good stewards, you know? Um, but for me, like, and what I want to do, I want to go regular mountain bike speed. Mm -hmm. I want to pace with my friends. You want that experience. I want a mountain bike experience, not like this moto experience, you know? So I'll set my assist level to pace who I'm with. And, uh, when I ride with adaptive rider, other adaptive riders with power assist, I have to bump my power way up to keep up. They just have the power way up and they're just zipping around at, at like at e-bike speed, like faster than mountain bike speed and whatever, you know, that's, that's their thing. But that, that's kind of a tough one for me when I, and, and why I don't ride with like other adaptive riders very often. Cause I don't want to go that like extra speed, you know? Yeah. Um, I will bump up my power in, in a downhill situation when I need speed for like features and, and jumps and things like that. Yeah. Or if I know there's like a crazy technical climb with ledges that I'm going to need a little extra power to get up. But that's kind of the one thing that I may be a little uncomfortable with, with, with the e-bike situation is, um, it becoming kind of a, a, a more of a moto, like in between mountain biking and moto world, you know? And I don't, I don't want to be in that. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's the whole, I guess they're calling it e-adventure, the whole e-adventure category. And there's a lot of adaptive bikes that are throttle only. There's no, there's no hand crank. It's just, it's all, it's 100% completely electric. And, um, I mean, it looks really fun and it is really fun. Um, and uh, I'm sure there is, uh, an element of, of exercise in that, you know, you're still using your body and all that, but it's not really, that's not really my thing. Like it's, it's actually really come a long way. Yeah. The whole e-adventure category. One of the things I want to definitely hit on with you is you have the unpavement, but before that you travel a lot. Like what are some good destination location or trail locations that allow you to do what you do? Cause I know I was listening to another podcast that you had done um, with Nat Ross for here, here in Bentonville. And you were talking about going to Sedona and how Sedona is like a really not good place to go because of some of the limitations on some of the trails. Well, yeah. Sedona is in one of those next level places, but West Sedona. Oh yeah. Is uh, very doable for adaptive riders. Um, and I spend a lot of time. Like over by Mezcal? Yes. Mescal, which Mescal's not a good trail. Okay. But that um, neighborhood? Yes. Okay. Uh, um, like Aerie, Coxcomb, Dawa, all, all those trails right there. Um, Dead Man's, is it called? Dead Man's, I think. Um, that's all really, really good. And I've, I've figured out um, like some loops. Yeah. Like everything's always out and back. And I've, I've, I've been able to figure out some loops for adaptive riders 
And I'm actually, next time I go out there, I'm pretty sure, I'm very curious about a really big loop and I'm pretty sure I can put it together. So next time I go out there, I'm going to put it, put together, I'm going to go my, grab my boy and go ride this bigger loop that I'm pretty sure will work. I've kind of like pieced it together little by little over the years. And I, I think this will, and so West Sedona is definitely a good spot for adaptive riders to go to. Um, and I've got my suggested routes on, on trail forks for that. Um, and I've just started to figure out some stuff in Moab. Moab's another one of those next level places where mm -hmm. I just have been trying to figure out what I can ride solo, you know, and there's not much because you know, majority of a trail might be good, but there'll just be like a couple spots where you need help or whatever. And then you're stuck, you know? Um, so Moab's one of those places um, but, um, a place that I have found that there is like, it's not the most exciting place to ride, but it's beautiful and it's fun and you can ride from camp. Um, and there's endless mileage of trails that are all, uh, completely adaptive friendly is, um, McDowell mountain regional park in, uh, outside of Phoenix. Okay. That place is awesome. I mean, any adaptive rider can go there and just have a really good time uh, and it's just endless riding. And like I said, it's not like, it's not exciting. I mean, it's all cross country, relatively flat trails and, but it's endless and it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's so nice to not have to like break down camp or like, drive anywhere. You oh, just, for sure. All the trails are accessible out of the campground. So I always tell people to go there. I mean, that's the great, that's the great thing with Imba's campaign of more trails close to home. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, I just had a, actually the show that came out today is with the guy that lives in Park City and Park City's motto is my garage is my trailhead, which is easily doable here in Bentonville as well. I mean, you live right down the road from Kohler. Not just down the road, but across the street pretty much. Yeah. I think I, I it's like um, 270 yards to the entrance right there. It's so nice, dude. It is so nice. And now that they've redone Esther's and I can ride Esther solo now, um, there's still a couple spots where not every rider can do it, but um, not every adaptive rider can do it. But that is kind of like my um, just get some quick exercise because I just need to get out late in the day. I go, it's four miles. I think it's four and a half miles round trip from here. But I'll come back and it'll be 35 minutes. Sun will just have gone down. I'm like, oh, I feel so much better about myself to just get out for 30 minutes. Yeah. That trail's perfect. It's right across the street. And we're going to go into that part of life in a little bit. But before we do that, I, you, I may or may not have been there, but I know this is a trail system that's really iconic on the East Coast and has been making a really strong push into adaptive mountain biking and making sure a good majority of what they have to offer is adaptive friendly and that's kingdom trails in vermont i've never heard of it really really yeah so they have in and you've i know you've heard of this they, there's the kelly brush foundation yep i know them you know I work closely they bought they buy a lot of bikes for people yeah so oh, kelly yeah. brush foundation they've gotten grants from kelly brush foundation um which because kingdom trails in vermont and east burke vermont is also home to a really iconic ski academy which is the burke ski academy that's like for those that know ski racing, even for those that don't know ski racing in modern years, they probably have heard of Michaela Schifrin. Oh yeah. Michaela Schifrin, that was, even though they claim Vail, like that was the ski academy she went to was 
Brick Mountain Academy. Well, all like the best ski racers seem like they come from the East Coast. Yeah. Because they grew up skiing ice. Yeah, it's like, yeah, and that's what people more like normal people don't get that like a good ski racing course, like World Cup courses are basically ice rinks. Yep. Because it has to be consistent for everybody. And how do you make it consistent? Is you, I mean, there's literally times where they open up a fire hose and no, thank you. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so East Burke, Vermont, you know, so they've worked with the Kelly Brush Foundation, you know, and they've also had worked with um, other adaptive athletes. To make and and what they found because they have one of the things that Kingdom Trails is known for is really good dirt and not any rocks, which is pretty uh, pretty not normal in our world. Even for the East Coast, it's not like right. East Coast is known for being rocky, right? And they don't have like that's actually one of their deficits is rocks. And so what they found when they started bringing adaptive athletes out to their trails is that they only had a couple choke points and different things that they had to change maybe like bridge widths yep you know stuff like that yep and they could put big loops together out there and i just had uh, abby long who's the executive director of the kingdom trails on the podcast a couple episodes ago and they're looking at it not only from a trails perspective but also like how do we make sure our and bear in mind eastbrook vermont is 900 people living in it so it's pretty small got you but it's a it's the it's one of the most iconic places in the in the northeast, if not the country, for mountain biking. And so she's making sure that people that have like Airbnbs or bed and breakfasts, that they have, you know, the right facilities for adaptive people, you know, for adaptive awesome. athletes to be able to get, you know, so it's not just the trails, it's the whole experience, like making sure we have a place to park. You know, the stuff I have that, this thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, so I, I will say in your bucket list of things to go, places to go. I was going to say. You need, like for something. mountain bike destinations at least, you need to look at Kingdom Trails. Oh, 100% sounds like. I haven't been on the East Coast for a long time. I mean, last time I was in Vermont was in 2014 when we were touring with the video. Yep. And then um, my ex's family has family in Virginia and we visited them. That's got had to have been like four years ago now since I've been on the East coast. So yeah. it's time. It's time. Yeah. And that, play, I mean, there it's real. Deal. I mean, there is an EWS race there this year at the ski, at the ski area. Cause so they have lift access at in East Burke and they have over a hundred miles of single track primitive, you know, regular trails. 100% on private land, by the way. Oh, well. That's like their big thing. It's actually kind of, people that know King, Kingdom Trails know the story about how they lost some land too, but they did handshake agreements back in the 90s where the the residents there knew like, we, we want to make this really good for us. And it's, they had an infrastructure issue, you know, because there was so many people coming to Kingdom Trails. We're talking like when they did uh, Nemba Fest, which is a Northeast mountain bike festival there, they'd be go from a town of 900 to a town of 4,000 plus people. In a weekend. It's a a big event. That's, you know, and, and like they say their number four customer, I guess you call it a number four visitor is coming out of Quebec, Canada. Cause they're only like an hour from the Canadian border, you know? And so they're getting a ton of people. That's how I do. I want to go up there, man. Like, well, you were talking about Lake Superior earlier. Yeah. I want to do like, but I mean, talking about bucket list, I, I need to get up to upper peninsula and the upper lakes into Canada. I really want to go up there. I want to take the van and I want to go up there. I don't even need to ride. I just want to like paddle 
and like just see it. Um, and then I want to work my way like over and I want, I want to ferry over to Iceland, ferry the van over to Iceland and like drive and ride around Iceland and just get in that whole area of the world. Um, the Northeast, you know, Vermont, Maine, and maybe even Greenland, you know, like I've, I've never seen that ever. And it just looks so amazing. I know Iceland is a really popular thing right now, but it's obviously popular for a reason because it's gorgeous and an amazing adventure to bike pack around it, I guess, is the thing to do. That'd be cool to do that. Like have somebody drive the van yeah, and like just bike pack certain distance every day around the island and like meet at the van every night and party and so talking about the East Coast and Vermont and stuff, that's what that makes me think of. I, I need to do, I need to spend like a few months, maybe a summer, spend a summer in the van in that, in just the Northeast. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard from, and have good knowledge on this from a reputable source that what they have in Quebec rivals what they have in Whistler. Okay. Now everybody has their own opinion on what they like and what they don't like. So take that for what it is. But I've been told that what they have in Quebec City, or just outside of there, is awesome. is on that same scale. It's just not as not as known, you know. So no, I've never heard of it. Bringing it back to lower level, but you need to you do you do need to go to Copper Harbor. What's Copper Harbor? I don't even know. That's where Rock Solid is based out of. Oh, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. So that's okay. like. So if the the visual here, people, because we're, well, I guess we do have a little bit of visual here. I can do this in front of the camera. Oh yeah, we got video, but your listeners won't see this. Yeah. The Upper Peninsula of Michigan is up above Wisconsin and there's a- the Mitten. You got to do the Mitten. Well, the Mitten is down down (laughs) here, but then you got Wisconsin over here and Green Bay is right there, right? Okay. Yeah. yeah. But up here in this Upper Peninsula, there's, this is the peninsula, but this is the peninsula above the peninsula. Yes. That's where I want to go. That is Copper Harbor. Okay. Like it is a dead end. And- they have actually pretty good access, just almost kind of by default for adaptive mountain biking. Cause I sent Lacey Heward up there with some people No way. and she was able to mountain bike. And I got text messages from her and other people like that same day as she was super pumped about how she was able to, to mountain bike out to the tip of the peninsula. Although it's, I wouldn't do it in late July or, or you got to do it when the, when the shore flies aren't there. Cause those things are freaking nasty. Yeah. 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 Like when I said summer, I was like, wait a second, bugs. But yeah, but they have 300 inches of snow right now too. Exactly. So, but yeah, you got to go outside of shore fly season, but legitimately there is some good mountain biking and Aaron Rodgers from rock solid has what's called East bluff bike park that he's built there. Um, East bluff bike park is it's, he, he owns it. It's, it's private land outside of copper Harbor proper. And he's just, he's, I think he's been building there now for three years, you know, but it's proper bike park stuff. Pretty awesome. You know, and see, I need to just, I need to just go on a trip and just like stop at these places for a while. Yeah, and you, 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 you have to make it a point to go to Copper Harbor because it's a dead end. You don't just pass through. That's the, right, that's well, like, that's kind of the joke. It's on the list now. That's kind of the joke there. It was like, well, when we're passing through, we'll swing by and say hi. And it's like, you don't pass through. No, you, <laughs> it's, yeah, you go, and which I'm learning, like, ah, man, van life is, is, is an interesting thing. Like, I, I was just, so the longest, before this last trip, the longest I had spent in here is five days, you, you know, and uh, 
And then this last trip was 14 days. And I got pretty uncomfortable, like towards like, like day 12, 13. I was like, I was, I was ready for like a full long hot shower and I felt starting to feel a little gross. I needed, I definitely needed to do laundry. Yeah. I was, I think I was on my last pair of underwear, <laughs> you know? And so I'm, I, I'm working up to it. You know, this next trip is going to be a little longer than that. It'll be, so I leave April 6th and I'll be back April 30th. So that's 24 days on this next trip. Um, and I, I leave Monday. Um, yeah. so I'm, I'm working, what I want to do is get to the point where like, I'm comfortable, like in a very extended period of time, like three months in the van. Um, and I can go and for, for a trip like that. You know? Well, the cool thing about Copper Harbor is that there is there is a handful of campgrounds there, two of which are owned by Aaron, <laughs> and they have hookups. They have water and electricity. See, if uh, I have if yeah. I have water and electricity, yeah, his, then I can just like take long hot showers. I can use the hot water heater. Yep, and I can refill my water every day if I need to, or whatever. And so that's that's a lot more comfortable. I should say Trails End has, is is still, it's, Trails End is still primitive, but there's also other there's like. There's four legit campgrounds in Copper Harbor. One of them being a state park. One of them being actually really nice with hookups. Yeah, they, it's good there. It's, it's my first time there was in 2011. And I was told before that, like, you got to come to Copper Harbor. You got to come to Copper Harbor. And I mean, it's changed the game for me and how I look at trails. Cause that was the first time I'd ridden the flow trail. Oh, which is a flow trail that Aaron built before when he was a volunteer working. He he might've been paid at the time, but he was like the president of the trails club. Before he worked for AMBA, before he started Rock Solid Trail Contractors, you know, and I, that has got a probably 550, 600 feet of vertical drop and it blew my mind because it was a 15 minute downhill. I'm like, we get this much vertical where I live. Why can't we get these downhills? And I went home and started like pushing the agenda. That's awesome. You know, have you heard of the, uh, the Santa Cruz flow trail? I think, yeah, yeah, no, I, yes and no. I've ridden it once. It was several years ago. I want to say like four, four years ago, maybe even five. And I'm going to ride it again next week. So one of my, one of my podcast guests is a Marin County resident, Vernon Huffman. I know Vernon. I know Vernon really well. And Vernon was talking about CAMTB. I'm on the advisory council for CAMTB and Vernon's huge in that. Yes, he is. He was, he was at the table when they, when they sat around at a different conference, like, why don't we have a statewide organization that just yep. focuses on mountain bike access. Yeah. So Vernon's like, I've often compared and I wanted him and I wanted Vernon as a guest and a success. Like that's a prime example of this podcast. Like me, get me b- being able to meet people that I want to ask questions to. Like he is like the, on my, he yeah. was on my super short list and I've succeeded at having him on the show because I've often compared Marin County to where I live, La Crosse County as being the Marin County of the Midwest with having like, horrible access, full on Sierra club, like battling against you. Wheels don't belong on dirt, like crazy stuff. Yeah. The whole, the whole wilderness, federal wilderness battle. But, yeah. it, but, but our, but our wilderness isn't wilderness. It's actually owned by the city. It's like technically city park. Oh, well <laughs> so that's different. Like, that's that's different. my point. Yeah. Like it's not like in some of its old limestone quarry operations, like 15 years ago we were, there was dynamite and dozers up here and you're telling me I can't take a bike in here now. It's, it's yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, let's kind of get real here. Like I get there. We need to protect oh, wait, places, but, but 
Horses can go in. Horses can't go here, but horses <laughs> that don't even get me started. Don't that. even get me started. <laughs> I've ridden horse impact. trail and it's not fun because it's a big trench. In I fact, share, you probably have to straddle it. Yeah. Well, we share trails in, in San Diego Yeah, and the horses destroy the trails, man. Destroy yes. them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and an adaptive bike. I can't avoid the manure. One wheel is hitting the manure. <laughs> well, you got you got multiple points of contact that aren't in line with each other. But the manure is not the bad part. It's the flies yes. that come with the horses. That's that's the hard part with them. Yeah. Well, we're now talking about nature. <laughs> this is another part that I really wanted to go deep on with you. And that was the eco-psychology. Yeah. And the importance of that. And you, you shared a story at your uh, keynote speech on Tuesday night at the record in downtown Bentonville about how you on one ride, you, you lay it in the dirt and how that changed, not changed, but how you felt about that. Yeah. Well, how, when's the last time you touched the actual earth with your skin? Not too long ago because I'm a mountain biker though. Like you didn't have any, you, you didn't have a glove or shoes on. I usually wear shoes, but I'd take gloves off all the time. Yeah. Okay. But you, but most let's re, people, let's rephrase that to when's the last time most people. Yeah. When's the last time I'll ask that to listeners and watchers. When's the last time if you're not a botanist or a trail builder or work in the dirt, when's the last time you actually touched the ground with your bare skin? Um, you know, this is why surfing surfers are so addicted to surfing because I mean, when you're in the water, you're completely girded by the earth. You know, you're, you're completely submerged in the earth. The ocean is part of the earth, you know, and the negative ions from that. And, you know, usually some part of your skin is exposed, <laughs> even if you are wearing wetsuit, but the water is getting into your wetsuit, you know, so you're not, you're actually, the water is actually touching all of your skin. Um, but we rarely ever just touch the planet. And um, people are like, oh, well, why? <laughs> why is that important? <laughs> um, the, for me, the answer is scientifically, I don't, I don't know. I don't really understand it. Um, from what I've read and researched and heard is that it has something to do with the negative ions. Um, but if you think like we've all, we've only been like, um, a civilized, you know, um, urban society, society for a very short part of our existence. So evolutionarily speaking, you know, we have been outdoors for the majority of our existence as a species. And so, um, God, I can't remember what book it was I read as a kid, um, but it was a book about um, a Native American girl that was, you know, um, adopted into a white family and like her struggles, like wearing clothes and sleeping in a bed. They would always like find her sleeping on the floor naked and, you know, was, and would discipline her for it. And it was this whole struggle and she would like, escape and like just to like sleep outside under a tree 
And I feel like that is how we naturally are. And like to live in, you know, the structures and, you know, on beds and, you know, everything's concrete is, is, is unnatural, is obviously very unnatural. And just evolutionarily speaking of how we are, you know, I, 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 I hesitate from using the word designed because that implies a conscious designing something, but how time and evolution have designed us to be, you know? And so that's like, I, I don't understand that. I don't think I ever can or ever will. I'm not really a scientist, but um, no, I'm not a scientist. <laughs> <laughs> we're not, we're not a scientist. We're not lawyers. We're not, we're, 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 I'm we're people. Beer drinking Southern Cal Southern California Yabro. Yeah, I mean, that's opposite of a science. I love to surf. <laughs> but I have experiential knowledge of it. I mean, not scientific knowledge of it. And um I I struggle. I've come to realize that I struggle with a lot of anxiety, a lot of negative chatter. Um, all kinds of shit swirling around my head all the time. And I, I don't think that that's uncommon. I don't think I'm the only one. And I see all the shit that's happening in the world. And, um, today, like more than any other time, it seems like there's so much division and uh, so much uncertainty and so much hate. I am definitely part of the problem. Oh, ah, <laughs> hold on to that thought. We're on GoPro. GoPro time. GoPro battery. This is battery four, I believe we'll be putting in. <laughs> this is battery four. We're at, so just to be clear, you made it an hour. That battery made it an hour. Yeah. This okay, battery so made that's an hour. good. That's good. Yeah. So they're different. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, so we're at two and a half hours now, and we're at one and a half for the last one. Okay. And then one for the, the first one. The second one was short. Yeah. Yep. That was a half hour um, battery. Are you saving our thought right now? Well, we're, a bit, we're recording it, but yeah, we're, <laughs> we're talking about, um, yeah. Okay. This yes. is the last battery. Yeah. You, so, you ended on hate and division. <laughs> hate and division. So if this battery dies, and we're still talking, the YouTube video will be shorter than the, than the audio podcast. But it, I mean, I guess I could just let the audio file run without the video. I could just put like a picture up or something. There are some podcasts that actually do that. I haven't done that. I guess I could do that. I mean, if you guys are enjoying this conversation and want to keep listening and you're listening to it on YouTube, then uh, I guess I could just keep it running if this battery dies on the camera. I mean, just, if you're, if you, you're, I I will say we are now approaching the longest podcast I've recorded ever. Well, duh! Look who your guest is. Well, this is going to hey, be funny. Welcome back. And I, this is this is going to be funny because the first time I ever, and we're going to get back to the hate division. Just that's where we were. The first time I ever thought, I'm like, okay, I want to record a podcast. Who can I have on my, on my podcast? Because okay, I, I don't know how to interview people. I've never done this before. 
And I have a friend, Pete Taylor. Pete, I know you're going to listen to this. He owns a bike shop in Viroqua, Wisconsin called Blue Dog Cycles. Pete is the person that you can say five words to and he'll just go. It's like pulling a string. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. And, and the only other person that has came close to Pete is a person you may know, may not know. He's a surfer, lives in Encinitas. He is the editor-in-chief of Freehub Magazine, and his name is Bryce Minnick. I do not know Bryce, but you're gonna I know feel Bri- like I should. You're going to know Bryce after this conversation. He I'm lives gonna, in Encinitas. Because I'm going to connect you to you. I'm gonna, you are, so, Bryce, when you listen to this, you're going to be connected to Jeremy probably before this comes out. Well, Bryce, I, odds are we've seen each other if you live in Encinitas and you surf in the area. Yeah. And we've seen each other. We have, we have to have. Yeah, he's, he's currently the editor of Freehub Magazine. He was, for 15 years, the editor of Bike Magazine. And before that, he was, a, he was a correspondent in journalism around the world. Like, he spent many, many, many years not inside of the U.S. ever. Well, hopefully you can connect us. Bryce, I'm always looking for board caddies. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to go surf. <laughs> but Bryce was a super, Bryce is an awesome interview, super long as well. And I, these, I mean, this is the Jacko podcast, like, type of or 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 joe rogan style you know where you go like that's the best way some man of us, some of us go for four people hours can stop listening or continue to listen if they want that's what's rad about it yeah like um i have friends that have podcasts and they're like oh our our listenership falls off after 20 minutes i'm like okay well like i don't think i think the question to ask is what's going on with the content correct you know okay if like why are you not keeping people's interest one, but then who cares? Like <laughs> just like hang out and have a good time and talk about whatever the hell you want. And people can, uh, listen or not, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not analyzing my statistics. Do you, I don't, I just do, I do my podcast and I do, um, my content because I enjoy it, you know, and there is a need and I'm fulfilling a need and that's fun and that's awesome. But I'm not like looking at when people stop watching or, you know, uh, I'll, if I look at my views, I will probably get depressed, but <laughs> yeah, I do know, like I, I have looked at numbers a little bit only in the sense that because this podcast used to be a part of mountain bike radio, which is a bigger network. Oh, okay. And I, in, in February of 2022, I took it off of Mountain Bike Radio to have it its own solo show. That's last month. That was last month. So I'm rebuilding an audience. Okay. okay. But yeah, there's a lot of people that came. I mean, there's a lot of people that came along anyhow, because this, it's, this is a podcast that gets listened to a lot by, which I, I'm, maybe I shouldn't be surprised, but trail builders as they're on machines building. I was kind of surprised at that when I first found that out, to be honest with you. Well, trail builders listening, you and nurses are the best people on the planet. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> uh, seri- I'm serious, man. Like nurses, for obvious reasons, are the best people on the planet. Like, and then trail builders, for what they enable us to do, mm-hmm. have a relationship with nature safely, um, is uh, I can't imagine a life without that. So. That's why trail And you've now perfectly brought us back into what we were talking about <laughs> before the GoPro died. Yes. So we're living in this crazy freaking world right now with all this hate, division, uncertainty are like the first words that come to mind when I think about everything that's happening with our planet right now. And um, 
I feel like <laughs> if and all that is based like because okay, let me say it this way. My first reaction to anything I don't understand is anger. It's natural. Yeah. And it's it's natural for most people and that's where it ends with the anger. You know, we don't understand something, we get angry. Um and for me that's because I've constantly got all this horse shit like swirling around in my crazy ass head all the time, you know, all this negativity, you know, and I have to remind myself that that is not reality, you know? And it's like, and that takes like effort and intention and, and work for me to remind myself of that you know, continually all the time and never stops. Having that awareness is super important, but it, but super difficult to get to that point to have that awareness. Yeah. And when I don't do that, I find myself in these like spirals of negativity and anger. And I'm like analyzing anybody that comes across my path and like looking at what I don't like about them. And I'm like constantly irritated, constantly irritated, you know? And, um, I have every reason to believe that that's like happening with everybody else too. And so we're constantly living in the state of like irritation, you know, and, um, you know, and with everybody, I'm, I'm not setting myself apart from that. I am part of it. You know, I, I struggle with this and you know, I feel like everybody goes through waves and phases where there, you know, have a clear mind and balanced and then phases in life for times when we're in that constant state of irritation. Um, and I certainly fall into that. And I find that I am doing my best when I am communing with nature, when I am taking the time and intentionally um, stopping myself to trip out on how the fuck a leaf works <laughs> <laughs> to feel the sun on my face to um relish in the cold water rushing over my face as i dive under a wave to um lay in the dirt seriously i'll go in my backyard and just uh lay on the ground just get on my chair and lay in the grass. Um, I mean, I did that as a kid and stuff like that, but as an adult, it, like it's something that I have to like really stop myself to go do. And the story that I told when I was during the keynote the other night, when I was on my ride is I, I, I fell, I flipped over and it sucked. Um, and after I got my bike, you know, right, flip back over and back in position. I stopped myself right when I was about to climb back into it and um, took the opportunity because I was sitting on the ground, which doesn't happen all that often. And I took my glove off and I, I just like held my hand on the ground. And, you know, if I'm going to be honest, like after like 10, 15 seconds, I was like ready to go. You know, I was like, okay, okay. like, no. And I had to stop myself. You do this for like a full, minimum 60 seconds has held my hand there and um 
breathe, took some deep breaths. Um, and that day was, you know, one of those days where the state of irritation was definitely heightened, you know? And I can say with confidence that touching the ground for that 60 seconds uh, completely changed my day, my state of mind, and um, quieted all that chatter swirling around in my head. Um, and for me, experientially, um, when all that is quieted, I'm able to more enjoy the little things. Like, I forget. Um, like, I remember times where, like, it's raining out and I'm sipping of a cup of coffee and I can't imagine, like, anything better, you know? And I'm like, where have those moments gone, you know? Where the coffee tastes so fucking good, I can't stand it. Or, like, that beer at the end of the ride that day. <laughs> it just, like, like, every sip, I was like, oh! <laughs> you know, and I feel like for me, not I feel like I know for me when I'm in that quieter state of mind that those little things I'm in able, I'm able to enjoy those little things. And then I think like if we're in a quieted state of mind more often and enjoying those little things, I mean, that's because we're present, you know? the the way that cup of coffee tastes is like i'm able to experience it at a deeper level and um understand it because i have more bandwidth in my mind because all that shit is not there that is always there and then if we're present and like enjoying the little things in life, then, um, then when there's another person in front of us, what then happens with our ability to pay attention to them and, um, be curious about their mind and how they think like to be curious about another person's mind to me is like the ultimate. Um, and I think that is where we as a society in general are not at, you know? And I think like for, for me, when I see all this, like just hate and division happening and this constant state of irritation that people are at because, you know, somebody's different or something's different. And, I'm not separating myself from that. Let me, let me be clear. Like I'm, I definitely, that is definitely my natural inclination, you know? Um, but when I take this time to like spend with nature and my mind is quieted and I'm enjoying the little things, I find that I'm like curious and empathetic. Um, when there's another person in front of me and I'm, I'm like, Whoa, wait, how do you, you think what? Oh, whoa. Like, wh where's that come from? Why? Like bleh, bleh. there's, there's that. And instead of this like instinctual, like, um, 
resistance that I constantly feel. So when it comes to having a relationship with nature and eco-psychology, um, like I can't think of anything that is more important, um, especially given the state of our world than people having a relationship with nature. Um, but the big, but is that is safely because that's where I've kind of run into trouble and why the unpavement project is, um, I've really gotten into some precarious situations trying to have a relationship with nature because I don't have the luxury of being able to walk back to the trailhead when shit hits the fan. Um, and information is a really big part of that. And infrastructure is a really big part of that. And so um, that's why the project is, um, it just, I personally, selfishly, want to be able to have a relationship with nature safely um, and just be out on the trail. Um, but I hope that my efforts can like leave something in place that is in place like long after I'm gone, you know? So yeah, next- I do. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a good one. We're going to go back to Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> McConaughey. <laughs> He had a book come out that came out mm-hmm. in, uh, I think it was late 2020. I found it in, in early to mid 20. I think it was, I found it in February or t- March of 2021, February of 2021 called green lights. It's a good green book. Lights. So if any, like if anybody wants a good, and I actually, I actually recommend don't read the book. Listen to that book. Cause he is the narrator. Of oh, that he narrates book. it. Okay, cool. So it's like even better on audio because it's him and he's telling his stories in green lights, but the biggest thing that I took away from that book is he has a, he has a point in there where he says the intersection, like the, the intersection, and I'm paraphrasing cause I don't know the exact, exact quote, but the intersection of greatness is that intersection between selfishness and selflessness. And that's exactly what you just described with the unpavement project because, Oh, I see. Okay. I like, I got into trail building and trail advocacy for a selfish reason. Like when I go weed whack trails to make sure they're clear, so I, I enjoy them more, but it's also that everyone else reaps that same benefit. You know, they get to, they get to enjoy that same, like people, I, there's most trail builders I know, and maybe not now because there's just so many more people coming in trail building, but a lot of people started out with trail building for their own selfish purposes. Cause they wanted a better place to go enjoy nature, whether it's hiking, mountain biking, horseback riding, whatever. I will say most of my mountain bikers though, because that's your big group of pushing trail yep. building. Yep. Yep. So I will say that, but, um, it, no demographic funds, like no trail development and trail upkeep and maintenance more than mountain biking. Is that true? That's what I, I've I'd heard. Be, yeah. I, would, I would, I would, I would really love for somebody so to tell me something. My different. college roommate just texted me. <laughs> that's hilarious. What the heck? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so the, the intersection the, the perfect intersection is that intersection of selflessness and selfishness where what you're doing is for yourself, but it's also greatly impacting the world in such a positive way. That makes sense. I'm going to download that book. Oh, it's, it's hilarious. Dude. I mean, like, I'm gonna, it's I'm gonna so do, funny. Yeah. Like, there, he's, he's out, out there, there, right? I could he's not, out there. Like, no, I could not imagine anyone else narrating that book and telling, cause you know how he got that book, right? Or how it came to be. It's because he's like journaled like almost every day of his whole life. And he's like, kept oh, him in a, I did. I did hear him say that. And he's yeah. like, kept him in a, 
And I listened uh, to him. I he's think got a on shit ton of podcasts. So like he yeah. went, he went on like this full podcast tour for Green Lights, and like literally, and I've listened to I don't know how many of them because I literally, I, I found, I mean I've listened podcasts as we've talked about. For me personally, have been like a, a a point of therapy. Like, yep, you know. So yep. you know, I I found out that some stuff went south in my life with me and my now ex wife, and I then. I'm going to paraphrase because this is, I'll make it short because I could make it long, but I'm not going to make it long. Quickly decided that I needed to disappear. I needed to go somewhere else. And the reason why I needed to disappear was so I could get my head on straight. So I could create a clear path forward in life for my two daughters. Because I have a six-year-old and eight-year-old daughter. They're six and eight now. They're seven and five then. Seven and four, seven and five. Um, You know, so the point is, is that like, I, I knew that stuff was drastically changing in my life. And I, there was nothing I could do about it except for make sure I could get myself in a good place to positively move forward. So I literally, without telling pretty much anybody, got my, packed up my, dropped my kids off at school, packed up my truck. And right before that, I got, I have a good friend that lives in Albuquerque, texted him, said, Hey, this is what's going on. Like, I need a place to crash far away from home. Drove to Albuquerque. He was just getting into mountain biking. He's and this was in this was in February of 2021. The whole I, had, I literally looked at the map of the weather map of the United States and was like, okay, where can I go to ride my mountain bike right now? Because literally everything from where I am in Wisconsin to Texas is frozen, including all of their water pipes. You remember that last February? I wasn't here, but I saw everyone's posts about it. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, literally, it was below zero to like Mexico. You know, and so I'm like, okay, where can I go ride my mountain bike? Because I need to go ride my mountain bike. I could go to Florida or I could go to the Southwest. I think most people would choose the Southwest. I'm not, I'm not knocking Florida, not judging Florida. Do the Southwest, like New Mexico and Arizona and everything. That's where, dude, yeah. That's so where I went at. to, I went to Albuquerque, spent a couple days at his place to, to get my head on straight. And then I was only, I think six hours from, uh, from Sedona at that point. And then. Yep. Six hours, Albuquerque, six hours from Sedona. Yeah. So then, and a half even. Yeah. So I then, you know, booked an Airbnb quick, like in Sedona, left his place after a couple of days, spent a couple of days in Sedona, did not know, knew Sedona was really good for mountain biking. Didn't know I was going into like the vortex and like everything else that they have their capital of the world, it, which was perfect because I really truly needed to find what I was going to do next and had an amazing couple of days in Sedona turned right back around and drove home. And it, it, the point of this, of this story is I had a lot of time driving. And that's when I found out about green lights and Matthew McConaughey. And that book at that, I needed that book at that time in my life, you know, and his, and him narrating it is like, it's the best. Like he's so good. at like, <laughs> He's, he's, out he's there. so good. His voice is so good at telling his own, I mean, they're his life stories. You know, and I'm not going to tell you any of his life stories, but you're going to, there's going to be some gonna, stuff I'm, in there. I'm going to listen. I'm going to, I'm going to start, start it on Monday. That you're going to be like, wait, what, what just happened here? Cause it's crazy. There's some crazy shit that happened in his life. I bet. You know, he, he definitely seems like he's seen some stuff, you know? So he, and he does a really good job and I would, and you've sounds like you've already listened to some of the podcasts that he's been on. Um, I would definitely recommend listening to some of his podcasts too. Cause, and he doesn't have his own, but like he was on other people's, like he was on Lance Armstrong's Joe Rogan's pretty much any, I heard like, him on Rogan, you know, is, and it was good. Actually, Lance Armstrong was good too, because him and Lance Armstrong are good buddies. And so Lance That's already right. knew 
like he knew some questions to ask. Like, gotcha. You know, ahead of the ahead of the game. So, did you know it's crazy about that story? Is I had a time in my life where I disappeared for a while too, and guess where I disappeared to? Sedona, Arizona. Yep. Isn't that crazy? That's when you were saying that. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, I disappeared. And was, yeah. And when but when I was there, um, they they had a freak. I was camping. And they had a freak snowstorm and it snowed a foot and it hadn't snowed like that much. I, I don't want, I want, I, someone told me like 50 or 60 years. <laughs> I did want to, I did want to recreate that this last year or this last, actually last month I was going to recreate that. And I had the end of, I had the first week of March open on my schedule. Ex-wife's watching the kids. We're really amicable now. Like things are all good. Like we know we have to co-parent in a really good positive way. So things are. I, I don't think they could, honestly don't think they could be better than they are. Like, and I truly believe that. And, but I was, I was watching the weather again and I was either going to go to the Southeast, uh, Pisgah area slash just South of Knoxville to a place called V hollow. Or I was going to go to Sedona, which happened to be the same weekend of, as Sedona bike fest. I was there. And quite honestly, I didn't really want to go to bike fest because I didn't, I didn't want to be around a ton of people, you know? It rained. And I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> and I decided last minute, like, I know it's a real crapshoot to go to the, the Appalachian Mountains in early March because it could very easily snow there too. And they, we, they'd been getting snow throughout the winter, you know? And I, I said, so I decided, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to the Appalachians. It's 14 hours from my place to Pisgah. If I drive to Sedona, it's 24 hours, literally door to door because I've done it. I literally, I stopped only for gas and use the bathroom. You didn't sleep? Straight through. Oh, you're not really, like 15 hours of my max. Yeah. You like I literally, like I was, oh, well, this man. is back, this is, this was in 2021 when I was kind of on my mission and I literally, I like, I was on going back to that Sedona trip. I was on Facebook messenger video chatting with my seven year old daughter at the time. They didn't know where I was. It still didn't, they still to this, they know now, but they didn't know at that point where I was and they didn't know I was also going to be coming home that day, essentially. And I hung up the phone with her at around 7.30 AM central time, which was 6.30 in Arizona. And I literally was driving up the road to my house the next day at 7.30 AM as at the time, which things were really gnarly at this point. Damn. Like nobody knew where I was, where I was going. And my ex-wife was driving down. We have, we live in a dead end road on a really steep hill. My ex-wife was driving down the road with the kids in the car to take them to school as I'm driving up. She didn't know I was coming home. 6.30 a.m. 7.30 a.m. 7.30 a.m. 7.30 a.m. So yeah, exactly the time zone. 24 hours. Yeah, exactly yeah. 24 hours. So like I waved at her like nothing had happened. And like the glare that I got was like blinders on. I don't see you. Because oh. she had no idea what to expect. Oh, what a trip. What and a like trip literally experience. like three, I walked in the house. The house is just a disaster. I walked in the house. It's super messy. And I was like, great. I got to clean. About two hours, two or three hours later, I texted her. I'm like, Hey, you want to go to lunch? She's like, <laughs> like, who are you? <laughs> There's more to the story that I, that I don't need to share on a podcast, but it was really gnarly at that point. But yeah, so back to, back to Pisgah and, and, and just South of Knoxville, Vihala, like, okay, do I go to Sedona or do I go to the Southeast and roll the dice? If I go to Sedona, it's an extra 10 hours of driving each direction. 
And yeah. so it's literally an extra day on either end of not riding a bike. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I'm like, I'm going to roll the dice. I'm going to, I'm going to the Southeast. It was 75 and sunny with not a cloud in the sky the entire time I was there. And talking about how fortunate I felt just for that, like the next week it snowed there and the next week was the Tennessee national at Windrock. And it was, it was so gnarly. They canceled the race. And so I like, you scored like it was so, and I'm, and I'm kind of paying attention to what's going on in Sedona weatherwise. I'm like, holy shit. Like I've like, I don't think I could have made a better decision. It was freezing. I I woke up to a dusting of snow, but still not the same weather that I was experiencing, like the opposite. That's awesome. You made the right choice. That was an incredible (laughs) choice that so fortunate. Sedona is a special place though. It is. Like people talk about the vortexes and the spirituality of the place. And, um, I was like, okay, you know, whatever, you know, crystals, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I realize what that is when I leave Sedona, like you, like you don't feel being balanced. Balance is a weightless thing you don't it's not a feeling you feel nothing you know and then when i leave sedona and i feel the the weight of the world on my shoulders after i leave i'm like oh that's what people mean about sedona um it's 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 a really interesting place like that for me what i've what i've experienced there yeah yeah we're gonna go a a deep dive even though we're three hours in into unpavement Okay. What that means and what like a what deep are, dive or just like a like, <laughs> cursory no, like, <laughs> what unpavement is, what it means to you, but what it actually means to everybody else and how and the, Im- battery. <laughs> and the Im- and the impacts that that unpavement has not only for you but for everyone else that can benefit from the unpavement. Um. Well. Well, one, it's weird to have direction and purpose. I've lived my, <laughs> I've I've lived my life like as a ping pong ball, like just a subject of my environment, you know, and for the first time in my life, it, which is crazy to say, as a forty-five-year-old man, that I for the first time I have clear direction and purpose. Um, that's a big deal just for me waking up in the morning, you know. Um, and I mean how it came about, we've kind of already talked about, you know. Um, there's a need. And so I, I, I just, you know, I started documenting my trail experiences. Um, you know, started working with trail forks, came up with a rating system. Um, and it's just kind of been one foot in front of the other. That's kind of how it's all come about. Um, the YouTube channel has been tough. Um, it's, I'm ready for it to evolve. I'm ready for it to not be about mountain biking. So I, I, and I've had like a split audience where, um, I've got the people that want the trail information and then I've got people that want to either be inspired or laugh or entertain or be entertained. You know, they want the edited videos, you know, with the music and, and, you know, more of me talking and, uh, they want you, but rich drew. (laughs) Yeah, they they, you know, and, and those people are mostly people that, you know, 
know me and just, you know, are, are want to know what's going on in my life, you know? Yeah. Um, so I have a very split audience and the channel has not grown, I believe because of that. Um, so I started a new channel that's just the raw trail videos and that's the videos where it's, it's, and so I'll get comments and negative comments, you know, really uh, from both sides. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. I'll get people say like, less you more trail or like, we don't need the music. We just want to see the trail, or, you know, stuff like that. And it's not necessarily negative. It's just not what I would want. So, you know, I have to check myself. I'm like, Oh, you know, the person is just telling me what they want, you know? So, and then even on the other hand, I'll get people saying, wow, you can see the sunset right behind you. Look at that. <laughs> oh, it's almost like the stickers. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, Thank you, Gary Vernon. And on the other hand, I'll get comments of people saying, uh, less trail, more you, you know? And it's like, oh, what the hell do I do? So I, now that I've split the channel and I've got the raw trail video, uh, channel, and then now my channel, which I want, it, it needs to be more, uh, about, you know, what's going on in my life, the lifestyle that I'm living, you know? which I live a fucking incredible life, man. Um, and I want to share that with people. I want to show that to people and, um, and everything in between is what's important. Um, how I load and unload my bike or my surfboard or, you know, how I set up camp and break down camp and beers with my friends and the, the struggles of, of what it takes to do all this, from a wheelchair, you know, um, it's all really important. And like, you know, it's more like tours of the van, what I eat, you know, these types of details that I don't know how to film. I'm not practiced in filming that stuff. I'm practiced in filming my, my rides, you know, and now I'm realizing, realizing, Oh shit. Like I'm don't know how to do this. <laughs> you know, I'm really bad at filming myself doing stuff. And, um, I know I could be good at it. I'm just not in the practice of it. So now, now I'm in this like transition phase where I'm like, okay, I need to start figuring out and get in the habit of filming myself doing things, you know, um, and get over all the negative chatter of, you know, telling myself, you know, how terrible of a person I am for, for doing all that, you know, so I've got that hurdle to get through and that layer of molasses. And then, um, so I'm in this interesting phase with the unpavement project and the YouTube channel. Cause I want it to be, to me, the unpavement is a movement, uh, of all of us wheelchair or not, whatever, wherever we're at in life off the pavement and, you know, into nature. Um, and I believe that I can really, and, um, th this is a definitely a painful thing for me to say, like, um, I, I know that I've been charged with this for, for my life's purpose. Um, not that I'm special or anything like that, but because I'm paralyzed, I can go 
ride my bike and live this lifestyle and people are stoked on it. I don't want that. I want to be anonymous, you know? Uh, I'm definitely living, living like I was shared the other night, like being in a wheelchair fucking sucks, you know? And I, and I even said before I was paralyzed that my worst nightmare was to be paralyzed. Um, so in that respect, although everything I've learned is very doable and we can rise from much greater depths than we think we're capable of for all intents and purposes, I'm living my worst nightmare. And um, to say that that is a gift in that I can just do what I want to do selfishly. And people are just like, people send me messages of how like it, it's changed their life, you know? And so I'm like, okay, well then that's what I guess I ha- I need to do with my life. You know, um, if I'm going to live this lifestyle, like I, I need to share it with people. And I know that I know I can help people like out of their ruts and the same ruts that I'm in every day, you know? Um, I, I know I can. And so that's kind of where the unpavement is now is, um, I, I don't want, it's ah, the first word that came to mind was burden, but it's not burden. It's the, uh, um, calling is definitely not the word. <laughs> it's definitely not a word I want to use. Um, but I have this hand to play and, um, I'm like at a crossroads with it where I feel like the scales are really about to tip. Um, and what I need to do is like, is, is make the decision to like, just like accept myself for who I am and like turn the camera on back on. Cause I've turned it off for, for time now. Um, I've barely been pumping out any videos, turn the camera back on and fucking do it, you know? Um, and just forget like all the negative thoughts that are swirling around. And, um, I, I know this is what I need to do. I've got a couple thoughts on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two totally different thoughts. So that, one, and I've, and I've shared this before too, but one of my, and I don't, I do not know who quoted this or where I got the, I got this quote from a podcast, but. I don't, I can't, I don't know who to credit for this, but like, what I like to say is like what we're doing and like what you're doing, especially with like, you just said, like, I don't know how to film myself. Right. Like us living, uh, and this goes back to, you know, earlier in the conversation, but us living our life on the edge of incompetency is like where we need to be. Yeah. Like literally like, yeah, there's so many things that I've done in like, like, like podcasting. I don't know how to podcast. Like, well, how do you do it? Well, go figure it out. Go watch a YouTube video and see, learn something or whatever. But like literally living on the edge of incompetency and like just on that edge of, you don't know what to do, but you're, but you have that, you're driven to figure that out, which goes back to, you know, if, if your purpose in life is too easy, you probably aren't living it right. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, and that's living on the edge of incompetency is, is there's so many things I mean, you can, you can, you can take that so many different directions, but like it's really, that. it's really where it is. The other thing that I thought of, this is more specific to YouTube. I don't know if you've seen, um, BKXC or Brian Kennedy. Yeah. yeah. I, I follow Brian. 
that guy, he's a good example of like, he does what you were just talking about. And I don't know. And I would be honest with you. I don't know how he so naturally turns the camera on himself. <laughs> Cause I don't know if I could do it. Yeah. But he's pretty good at it. He's good enough to where he's gotten to where, he's, where he is now, where he made a career out of it, you know, and he's doing good, you know, he's doing good. Yeah. And he like his, in a nutshell, and I know people that have listened to this podcast know who Brian Kennedy is because I've had him on the podcast twice. No way. You know? Yeah. That's cool. Um, I've emailed with him. Yeah, he's good. Yeah. He's really good. He spent, well, he spent like five or six weeks here last last spring, like literally trying to ride all, all the stuff in, in this region. And I don't even know if that's long enough. <laughs> oh, that's right. Because he's on his like tour. Uh, yeah. Well, t- two years ago, he was on his 50 State Shred. 50 State Shred, And that's right. where I met him the first time because his stop in the 50 State Shred for the state of Wisconsin was lacrosse. Okay. In the, you know, so him and him and myself and another Josh. I might have seen that video. Road lacrosse, Wisconsin. I think I saw that video. Yeah. So he, so he's funny. Yeah. He stopped there and we did a podcast interview then when he was in on his 50 state of But then last spring he did like five or six weeks of rent. He rented an Airbnb and base camped out of Bentonville and went and rode all the stuff around here. And then did a, did a, a Southern Enduro uh, series race at passion play, you know, and did that as part of his thing. But my point is, is that he's like, people watch what he's doing. And some of his videos are just of his van. He'll do like, like yep. he did a video review on like the things that he's learned about what features to have in his van and what is just stupid to have mm-hmm. and like what he thought would be good. And there's people watching that stuff. A lot of people watching that stuff because people want to know what to do to their van. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so you, you mean people want to know what you're doing Yep. and cause it'll help them maybe get off that edge of incompetency just a little bit to learn right. how to. I have to remember that to motivate. Well, I think, well, the problem that I definitely have is because he does that full time. Which is like I literally work, full-time. I work full-time. I have actually multiple full-time jobs. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> uh, is, a, that is a huge, like when you, yeah. it is his job. Like he video edits all the time. And I mean, that's, it's, like with it's the, tough. With, with the bike sales, I'm, I'm not complaining. I'm definitely winning. And I, and I make really good money doing these things. And, and that uh, enables me to live my lifestyle. Um, so the, the bike sales, the, uh, the, the trail consulting, which and, is kind of on pavement in itself. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and speaking like, and then managing those things and then, you know, you know, managing my bike, you know, it, it is a lot of work. That's, that's like, that's a day a week, you know, taking care of the bike, you know, uh, which I really enjoy doing. It's one of my favorite things to do. Like, crack a couple beers and work on my bike and have football in the background. I, I fucking love it. But all I have to say is like, I, I compare myself to the other YouTubers and, um, their ability to pump out videos and quality video. And, um, that's tough to do when, with the amount of time that I have left over after all those other things, usually in that time I'm tired the last thing I want to do is like turn the camera on and be motivated for people, you know, when I'm tired. So that's, that's a tough thing. I would like to be able to transition to figure it out where it's not so much work to, to make a video and stuff. And it's like a lot faster and easier, but to make a video, to edit a video for me is like, is like 10 hours. That's where I was just going to go. Turning the camera on. It's one thing. It's the, it's the the post. Yeah. The post is so, the actual filming and stuff, 
I, I want to figure that out. Okay. Cause logistics wise, like, um, when you have two less limbs <laughs> to, to utilize, you know, when it comes to, you know, well, let me say it this way. There's a logistic, logistics involved as an adaptive athlete. And then you add the layer of cameras to it. That's a whole other layer. And, um, usually it's just enough for me to like get out and get my bike out and get my bike ready and get to the trail. And then, you know, if I'm not late, <laughs> I fucking won, you know? And, um, and then like, Oh, wait a second. And then I want to add the layer of cameras and stuff to whatever I'm doing. It's, it, it's tough. I need to figure I, I I really need to figure not, I need to, I want to figure that out. Well, yeah. and, and to take that one step further, like when I go ride, like I just tune out, like you'd probably, uh, I, I'm never going to say never, but you'll probably never see me having, you'll never see me with a YouTube or not a YouTube, a GoPro camera. On <laughs> I'm not one. I rarely uh, take pictures. What if you're following me and filming me? Well, that's a different story. <laughs> I mean, I will say I, the one time, and I told you this earlier, the one time I've had a GoPro camera on me, I was following the rich Drew, the rich Drew, the one and only rich Drew. But it's funny. You like, even like you, you take the difference of rich Drew and his brother, Rob, like Rob doesn't want to have cameras on him. No, no, he no. just wants to go out and ride. Yeah. You know? And so there, and, and, but it backing that up, what you're doing does serve a legit purpose, you know, with the unpavement, That's what I have to remind with, myself with the, of. With the yep. unpavement project. And it's not just, it's not just for adaptive athletes. It's for everybody because I don't care what anybody says. Like good trail is good trail. Good yeah. trail for you is good trail for me. Yep. We can talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, I'm like, I'm like, um, Rob where I don't want to have the cameras. Yeah. But when it comes down to that decision to charge the batteries the night before or not, and I'm like, Oh, I don't want to, I don't want to deal. And I just don't. Or like, oh, I don't want to grab the camera. I, just, I have to remind myself of what you just said. Like, it's not fucking about me. It's not about me. Uh, and anybody that thinks that I think it is, unsubscribe. You know? Yeah. This isn't, <laughs> they don't know me. Apparently you know? this isn't for you. <laughs> yeah. But I have to remind myself this, that, that, of, of exactly that. Like, when I make that decision, when it comes to that point, that decision, plug in the batteries or grab the camera, I, I want to have... The, like tr program my mind so that the reminder pops up, the pop-up window comes up. I'm, I'm very tactical in the way like my mind works. You can probably relate with that. I think um, the pop-up comes up like it's not fucking about you, dude. Like you need to do this for other people plug in the batteries. That's what I, that's kind of what I'm charged with and where I'm at right now. Yeah. With the unpavement project. Yeah. And it's, it's a good thing. Like, Everybody that's going to be in the show notes, the, the link for the Unpavement Project will be in the show notes. But let's talk about the technical aspects of it. You, we didn't go too deep on your signing, like what that actually means. You went deeper. My signing? The signing of, of well, the signing of trails and what you do on Trail Forks to like, oh. like what, like gotcha. what that actually means. So you, so you know, when you go to a trail system or yep. that you can, you don't have to have a friend or a couple friends with you that you can do a continuous loop to get through that. Yep. Yep. Um, so yeah, the, the whole like trail documentation process, the trail, which is one of your jobs process. Yes. Um, I get paid for it and I also do it for free, you know, yeah. on my own, like when I want to document, um, an area. And so, you know, I, I developed a rating system 
to, to rate trails and, um, the, the purpose that it serves is for two very different types of riders with adaptive riders. There is a hard line down the middle of two user groups. Um, and either user group can cross that line at any time, but that line is riders with support and riders without what I can ride with you is a lot more than what I can ride without somebody. Um, so I have a support rider. I can, I can get through so much more. And so the, the rating system, what, so when I'm traveling and I, or by myself or I'm riding an area that I'm unfamiliar with, I, the information that I need that is useful is where can I ride safely by myself? And then when I'm with somebody, the information that I need is, uh, basically what trails are going to be too much work for us? You know, what, what is the best mountain biking experience? Um, where my friend's not going to have to, you know, maybe they'll, you know, need to spot me here and there, but it's not going to be, you know, so much that it's every not five safe. minutes, like, or exactly where they might as well just be walking. So that's kind of what the rating system does is answers those questions. And, um, when I'm riding an area, I'm riding with the very broad spectrum of adaptive riders in mind. I'm not just riding it as myself. Can I do this or not? You know, I'm riding it with a whole like very broad um, range of um, ability levels, disability levels, and all different types of equipment, you know, and uh, with all that in mind of what are most of those riders going to experience on this trail? Not all because uh, I mean, there's, there's some there's some riders in the far extremes of, you know, the rider spectrum that, um, know to, to shift things over for them. They're, they're an outlier. So what are, what, what is, you know, so I kind of rate trails, not kind of, I do rate trails on a curve, so to speak, um, with the average rider in mind. And, um, and hopefully over time and now, you know, a lot of work that I have done is all mostly in the Southwest region, California, Arizona, Colorado, um, Utah. And the goal is to train other riders, other adaptive riders in the trail documentation process. Um, so that other riders can be doing this in their respective areas. And then the, the, the goal is big data over time like we're in this for the long the long game where w one ride one trail at a time this information is put into trail forks and soon other trail and inform information resources so that adaptive riders can use these resources like anybody else and know where they can go safely what i try to do is identify like spend time in an area and identify um a route and I try to find a loop of significant mileage because um, that's what most people are going to do. They're just going to go on trail forks and look for a recommended route and ride that, you know, um, they're not going to look at all the fine details of, of a trail. Um, so if you're alone, here's a route you can do. If you're with somebody, here's a good route. And so that's what I try to spend time with an area and get to know it. Cause that, that, that takes time to get to know an area to figure out a, 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 the best route possible. And I think that's how we can serve like the majority. And then also the uncut video, like most people are, if they're trying to find out if they can ride a trail or not, 
are just going to type it into YouTube. And so I'm trying to get just more and more of just raw trail videos on YouTube. So person can type in, you know, adaptive or eight MTB along with the trail name and land on those videos and be able to see adaptive bike go down the trail. Yeah. And that kind of reminds me of something that I wish it would have taken off, but it didn't. And I don't know where these people are and what they're doing. I know where they are. They're probably in the UP. But Copper Harbor's trail system has what's called Trail Genius. And what Trail Genius is, it's like YouTube video mixed with Trail Forks on one screen. And well, so Trail Forks has videos on the trail pages of like a full entire loop, like that whole entire front to end. So it shows like, so what it is is like you have the map in the one corner. The person with a helmet camera, handlebar camera, oh, whatever, okay. like in another corner, and then actually the elevation, so a profile of it also of that trail. So you can like, I'm a geek when it comes to certain things. And back when I when I really was focusing on some cross country racing, like the Fat Tire Festival at Copper Harbor, Trails Fest, I would go on to Trail Genius and like really get to know that that trail or those trails that were part of that race. Got you. You know, so I could, it's kind of like what the EWS racers do and like enduro racers do now with like, they'll go out and video their own to the GoPro and then they'll go back home and, and, and like analyze it for a racing perspective. You know what I mean? But it'd yeah, be, yeah. you know, I but think it's a little different because trail forks is all user. Correct. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. what the difference. Yeah, yeah. I think the problem with trail genius was, was it was a couple guys that thought of this and how do a couple guys. Yeah. Like document. A There's whole. a lot of trails out there. <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> Thankfully. You yeah. Know? But with the, I think that's probably why it did not take off and, and resources like trail forks have is cause it's, we're, we're all about, this is about big data here because yeah. there are so many trails and there's so many rocks and ruts and idiosyncrasies with these trails. That, Features. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So now we're on black screen with YouTube. The last battery has officially died. <laughs> and we are, we, that one went 53 minutes. Okay. So that's, that's pretty good. One hour. That's pretty good. You know, so we're, yeah. we're three hours and 23 minutes into this for real recording wow. or audio recording, I should say. Um, but yeah, so I'm an admin on trail forks for my region. So I, yeah, I get it. And I push, I push, you know, we, you know, there's like, there's other mapping apps out there, but I personally push trail forks more than any other app because as a user and an admin, I think it's the easiest system to use I agree. of all the stuff out there. You know, like if we, like, for example, when we had the last trail system we had built in the cross is about six miles of trail. Like I had all that GPS and loaded into trail forks and not open to the public before it opened. And like the day it opened was the day I unhit everything. And so it was live on trail forks. That's awesome. the day it was live I like that. for the public to see and use, you know? And I think, and having like, I've tried to work with MTB project and it was like impossible. Oh, I originally contacted MTB project. When I, when I first started out, I was first talking with, I tell the story that I called, I say, I called up trail forks, but that's not true. I called up MTB project and, um, they just went through like some serious attrition, like right after that. So everything that we were starting, just like the ball got dropped. And then I was actually at Sedona mountain bike festival. And there's, a, I was talking with this local guy and he, and he told me about trail forks. He's like, oh, trail forks was way better. No, no, I'm like, really? He's like, oh, yeah. Like, basically, all the cool kids are using trail forks. Because they can use it. 
Because they can use it. <laughs> exactly. And so then I called up Trail Forks and you know, the, the rest is history. Um, do you ever <laughs> just crackhead out all night long? Like just like cleaning shit up in there? I have. You moving points to make sure like a, like a radius of a turn is like maybe the actual <gasps> radius of the corner. Like it's not just like a I V. I love it. Like I just love- moving points. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anything like just, just. Clean, just cleaning shit up, like correcting the the GPS points, like making and, sure they actually connect to the next trail, so you can make the route. Little things like that. Yeah. Oh my god! I for some reason I fucking love doing that. I'll get in. Well, not for some reason. I know why. I, I can't like for me to pick up a shovel and go do trail work isn't really in the cards, you know. So like I get to like perform trail work online. But if you did, you'd be that perfectionist out there shaping. I think I would be. I think I'd be a perfectionist with it. I definitely with the with the computer and with the trails online. Oh my god, I love like just crack heading out all night, getting in there. Oh my god. Yeah, I I mean, I I geek out on that in my in my in my real life. I say my real life because in my career, I do. I work. This is no secret to anybody. I work full time for Wisconsin DOT, and. And the role that I'm in right now, it's a plant production coordinator and I'll get engineers that are like, we need to get this project out. And I'll look at the, I'll look at their documents, the drafting. And I'm like, oh, this is freaking horrible. Like all oh, this stuff is on I wrong layers. Imagine. Like from an aesthetic standpoint, I'm like, and I got taught by a guy cause I've been working for DOT. I started at DOT when I was 17 and then came back in the summers when I was in college and still worked there and then got a job there after college. So I did not go to school for civil engineering. Um, it's just what I ended up falling into as a, as a life career. And, but the guy that was teaching me back in, even in high school was like super anal about the way the direction of his leaders and not having like having the right angles on the leader lines pointing to whatever it is pointing to on the plan. Like it was super anal. Like I'd be freaking out, you know? And so I can totally relate to like, you go in you bring, you, you download your GPS file or however you got it in there. And you're like, but it goes a little bit to the right over here, which on a, on an iPhone or whatever, or, or Garmin or whatever you're looking at, that person's never going to notice that. Right. But in your head, you're like, it, it needs to be right. And, and like, it that. doesn't, and for routing, like this trail doesn't touch it and it needs to, or like this trail is like, doesn't make sense. This, you know, if something doesn't make sense exactly right, like. And then you got to like redraw it and oh yeah. Well then connecting it to roads. Like if you're going to interconnect from, cause not all trail systems are completely enclosed within themselves. There's right. There's on road or gravel connectors. Yep. You know, and making sure so you can make a route on trail for, uh, forks that they all connect because if that is just a hair off, it won't connect. It won't and connect. Yeah. And when you're, when someone's creating routes, it won't work right. And with functionality isn't, mm-hmm. isn't, it needs to be right. Yeah. I, I love, I love doing that, man. Yeah. Like those are some really fun nights. I'll, and I'll be drinking and like just geeking out on trails. Oh, it's so fun. It's so fun. And then like the sun will be coming up. <laughs> I'm like, oh man, I was cleaning up trails and trail forks all, all night long night. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, I don't know. We've covered a lot. We're three hours and 28 minutes into this, but at the same time, I do want you to close with something inspirational <laughs> and not because you're any different than anybody else. Cause I have everybody close with something. And like, I really like, actually we're going to back up. There's, there's another thing that I always 
there's two other things that I always ask. So maybe we'll go a little bit longer. Do you have, and I know you'll talk about this, but do you have a famous failure? Oh my God. And it doesn't have to be famous. I say this in the sense that it doesn't have to be famous as like, oh, I got news or something like in your mind. Is there something that you did that you learned from that you took that knowledge from and then did differently in life? Like that kind of failure, like, like an aha moment, like that I shouldn't have done that that way. Uh, There's a lot. (laughs) Everybody that's successful has a lot. (laughs) There's a lot. Um, Yeah, I've fucked up a lot. (laughs) Um, Man, well, the first thing that comes to mind and that's, you know, relates to the conversation is um, there was one time I was going for a ride and um, I did not look at the weather beforehand. Um, and it turned into an ultimate fail, ultimate fail, man. Um, I actually, it it started to rain pretty much right when I started my ride and I continued to go. I I, I was in a, like a very negative state of mind. I just like blinders. I'm going to get this done. I got blinders on and I, you know, went through all the effort to get here. I'm going to fucking ride. And, um, that that sprinkle quickly turned to a downpour um and as i passed through a water crossing uh i i snapped my chain and uh so i got to get off the bike and fix the chain i'm sitting in about like 6 8 inches of water and i'm trying to work on my chain and fix it and I hear a noise and I look up and the the bank um f- collapses and wa- wa- all this water broke loose and I was in like basically a flash flood situation. So you were surfing. <laughs> yeah, I was in this creek. Yeah. That just all of a sudden I was in neck deep water. My bike is completely submerged. My bike is underwater and the bank is like three feet high. So imagine being a paraplegic and getting your, you know, 50, 60 pound bike up a three foot bank from underwater, basically. I have my phone in my pocket. Luckily, is like when water, the first iPhone that was waterproof, <laughs> luckily, um, because I had, I, and I finally got out of there. I got my chain fixed and that's like skipping over like an hour of just grueling endeavor. And, uh, yeah, this was in San Diego and it's just like this thick clay. And so like every few yards I had to stop and clean out my drivetrain cause it would just seize up. Just I can relate, up. but I couldn't imagine. It was seizing and seizing and seizing. And uh, luckily I have my phone and luckily I was able to call for help. Um, but it was a totally fucked situation. It was totally terrible. And, um, I just a bad steward, man, just a bad steward. And there's been so many times, you know, if I would just check the weather and been responsible and then, uh, there's so many times I've put strangers, complete strangers in uncomfortable situations. Uh, yeah. You were showing it on your video. Yeah. Like runner, yeah. Like you're stuck. And that it. guy was fine. Yeah. You, oh, you and said, he's time, like, that guy was super cool. You said it right on the video. You're like, yeah. thank you. Like this is, 
but who knows, you know, if someone's uncomfortable or not, I think if I was in a situation where I needed to help somebody, um, and I was uncomfortable, I would probably not let them know, you know, Correct. so maybe they were. And then, and actually <laughs> there was one time, uh, I crashed on my like beach cruiser bike and it was all bloody. And this was like in the height of COVID and I was on the ground, bloody. <laughs> in San Diego. Have, I didn't have a shirt on. I was sweaty. And, um, I couldn't get back on my bike. I hadn't done anything wrong. I didn't, I didn't like fail anything, but I crashed and, but I just felt terrible that in the height of COVID, like a guy had to like grab my, me sweaty, get my blood on him. You know, not that you can transfer COVID through blood, but I put in a stranger in a very uncomfortable situation, you know, and you that's just, social distancing, <laughs> not at all. The exact opposite. <laughs> uh, so all that to say, like, yeah, I, um, I've learned the hard way and failed so many times to make sure like, a, uh, you know, ma- maintenance on the bike is so much more important, you know, cause if it breaks, I'm screwed. Um, taking care of my bike, um, carrying everything that I can think of any type of contingency with me. Um, and look at the freaking weather. <laughs> yeah. 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 So my second thing that I always, that I always ask people on this podcast, because this podcast is about communities and trails is what, and we're in, as I, I say this, as we're sitting in Bentonville, Arkansas, mountain bike capital of the world. Yeah. TM. Cause they trademarked it. Oh, they did. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you didn't God. know that. No, I didn't that was the that. press release initially like that. <laughs> wow. I did not know that. It's marketing. Yeah. What, in your opinion, makes a great trail community? Ooh, great question. What makes a great trail community? Um, Man, that is a great question because there's so many different things. Like, you know, the, the thoughts that come to mind are, you know, people that care about each other, you know, people that take care of the trails. Great restaurants. <laughs> Beer. Yeah. Like it's, it's a, it's a comprehensive thing from a lot of people. Well, you know, being someone who, you know, doesn't have close family, like it really means a lot to me to feel supported. Um, and I have definitely discovered that here. Um, I feel very supported here. Um, like, when I'm doubting myself, like I know that like I'm wanted, people want me here, you know, and that I'm valued here. Um, and I mean, not just in a trails community, but in any community, that's probably the most important thing for me personally, um, is that, you know, I, I, I feel like valued and supported. So, um, I'm going to say that about to answer your question, I think the most important thing is that people like let everybody else know that they're valued and supported. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. It is. is. It's something I've taken. It's something I've taken a lot more seriously in the last year. Personally, you know, like I have a great girlfriend now who every, she started this with us and she was doing it. She's a, she's a business owner, a small business owner, and she does it with her staff too. But every morning 
we wake up in separate houses, separate beds. Not always, but well, we wake yeah. every morning. Like the first thing or one of the first things we do to start out that day is we text each other gratefulness. Three things you're grateful for. Oh, and and I, I thought of this actually a while ago during this conversation. Um, some of it's living in the past. Some of it and is when you're talking about being present. Some of it's living in the past. Some of it's living in the future because you could be grateful for like a great opportunity you had yesterday or you could be grateful for what's coming up, right. you know, right. whatever. But for me personally, like some of the things that I went, you know, like I let my dogs out in the morning and I walk outside and I look out and see the sunrise and you just, you're present with that moment, just like you in the dirt and explaining that relationship with dirt. Like being present is such a more important thing that we take like, that negative chatter, like that's not living in the present, right? No, it's not real. It's not reality. It's yeah. not, it's not real. And it's not where you are now. Yeah. You know, it's what ifs or what did, Yep. you know? And so like, I've taken that like every day, every morning, regardless of what is going on in our lives, we, we text each other three things we're grateful for, you know, and that's, you know, so having, and I'm getting back to that support and having that community around you. Like I seriously, like I, I appreciate her more than she, she hears it from me, but I still tell her all the time. Like, I appreciate you more than, you know, because of the type of that type of stuff that you've, um, brought, I don't know what the right word is, but you brought into my life, you know, and that's that thing, having people around you that know that you're valued, that let you know that you're valued, you know? So. I like that. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. I have to pee. <laughs> for three hours and 38 minutes minutes three into beers, this almost four hours definitely be time um thanks so much man let's uh yeah i think it's i think it's a good good wrap well thank you very much jeremy p mickey <laughs> <laughs> right on stop let's do this thank you for listening links for the various topics discussed on the show can be found in the show notes i cannot stress enough how meaningful it was to have the opportunity to sit down with jeremy and record this interview Jeremy is an incredible human with amazing insight on this world. Our next episode features Aaron Rushing, the Executive Director for Trailblazers in Northwest Arkansas. Trailblazers is a nonprofit organization behind much of the trail construction in Northwest Arkansas. If you like what you have heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. If you are new to the Trail Effect podcast, please check out our ever-expanding library of episodes. This podcast has been made possible by Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening. <laughs>